Hello and welcome to the BVC Podcast. Here at Brownsburg Vineyard Church, we want you to know that we are a group of ordinary people that serve an extraordinary God. Our mission is to honor God and advance His kingdom by building disciples who will give their lives to changing the world. Whether you are local or joining us from a distance, we want to thank you for being a part of our family. To learn more about us, you can visit thebvchurch.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's message. Now this uh, might come as a surprise to you, but I am not a celebrity. I'm not famous, uh, nor really all that rich, um, and I've never even had like a brush with stardom. Like I never just like nearly made it to the big time. It was not even that that close. Andy Warhol, you know, famously, famously said that everybody will get their 15 minutes of fame. And I'm still waiting for mine. I don't know what it's going to take, uh, but I, I haven't had that. And because I've never achieved fame, because I've never had the celebrity status, I've never been in the position to make outlandish demands of people. I've never had that, that leverage to be able to say, because I'm famous, this is what I expect you to do for me. Now, there are people, like rock stars and actors and performers, who on a regular basis make such demands. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this, but when a, 
a singer or a performer or an actor agrees to be in a movie or agrees to perform, they, they have a contract, and in the contract there are these things called riders, and, and the rider will specifically list and state what it is that the famous person demands in order to perform or in order to be in the movie. I looked up a couple of them. Justin Bieber, who is one of the greatest Canadian exports ever to live, he demands that there be a jacuzzi in his change room. He demands that if there's any travel to and from the airport or anywhere else, that the travel happen in a Rolls Royce. He demands that all air travel be done in a private jet and that a helicopter be on hand in case of an emergency. But maybe the craziest request, demand, that Justin Bieber makes whenever he performs is that he has a personal chef, that a personal chef is there to cook meals just for him. But here's where it gets a little weird. Every meal that that very personal chef makes is required to be named after one of Justin Bieber's hit songs. He demands the meals be named after his songs. Beyonce, who's a fantastic singer, much better than myself, she demands that alkaline water be available in her change room. I'm not sure what that is. That it be served at 21 degrees precisely, and that $900 titanium straws are available for her to drink out of. Where it gets a little weird is that she demands that a brand new toilet seat be put in any change room that she's offered. In 2007, Prince, some of you remember him, was playing in London's O2 Arena. And even though there were plenty of luxury hotels near the arena, Prince wanted to be in the arena so he could just take in all of the, the nightlife of London. And so he demanded that the organizers of his concert build him a five-bedroom house inside the stadium, his own house. My favorite one, going back to the big band metal days, in 2004, Metallica was on tour. For those of you who grew up listening to Metallica, 2004 they were on tour, and this is what the writer was in their contract to perform. We want bacon available at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. In fact, we want bacon available at any time of the day. That was Metallica. Now, the reason that all these rock stars and performers and celebrities can make these demands is because they themselves are in demand. They're in such high demand that people are willing to do whatever it takes to accommodate them. They can really ask for the world, and people will do it for them. Tonight we celebrate the birth of the greatest celebrity in history, the greatest rock star in history, the one person who quite literally was in the greatest demand that anyone was ever in, the one person who deserved to be desired and in demand more than anyone else in that was Jesus. In Luke 2, verses 4 through 7, it tells us about the birth of Jesus. And as I read this, I want you to pay attention to the demands. Pay attention to the accommodations that were given to this king. It says this, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house of the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger 
because there was no guest room available to them. Everything about Jesus was humble. Jesus came from humble parents. Jesus didn't have parents who had an Ivy League education. Jesus didn't have the type of parents that would be able to afford all of the latest and greatest toys like all the kids in the room tonight are hoping that they get tomorrow morning. Jesus didn't have those types of parents. He wasn't born into a place of fame or notoriety. He was literally from one of those towns, and some of us have grown up in small towns like this, where what people said about Jesus' hometown, Nazareth, Nazareth, was that nothing good ever came from there. Ever grow up or live in a place where people said nothing good comes from that side of town or nothing good comes from that town? That's where Jesus grew up, was in a place that had a reputation of nothing good ever coming from there. Jesus was born to a humble people. He was born a Jew. The Jews had lost their autonomy. They had lost their nation. They were ruled by the Romans. They had lost their sense of independence and their sense of pride. And those were the people that he came to. He came to a very humble predicament. His mother was kind of under a cloud of judgment as having been betrothed to Mary Joseph, but yet being found pregnant by someone else who she said was an angel. And finally, Jesus was born into a very humble posture. It doesn't get much more humble than a defenseless infant who needs people to take care of their basic needs. And that was the posture that Jesus assumed. And no one would have expected a king to accept these terms. Quite unexpectedly, and quite unlike a rock star, Jesus didn't make a single demand, but instead he demonstrated humility. Over the last month, during the Advent season, we've been doing a sermon series called An Unexpected Christmas. And each week we've been looking at another way in which Christmas 1.0, the very first Christmas, was unexpected. So utterly and absolutely unexpected. And tonight, I continue and conclude that series with a message entitled An Unexpected Propensity for Humility. Now, propensity might not be a word that you use every day, but the definition of propensity is this. An intense and natural preference towards something. Just an internal drive an inclination, a magnetic attraction to something. And of all of the people who ever walked the face of this earth, Jesus had more right, more leverage to make demands. Jesus could have made the most outlandish demands. Can you imagine if Jesus was a modern day rock star? Can you imagine with Jesus, with the, with the leverage that he had, knowing how badly we needed a Savior as human beings, knowing how much better he was than us, knowing how much more powerful he was, could you imagine the type of demands that he could have made? He didn't even ask for silk sheets in his manger. He didn't even ask for a, a penthouse room in the hotel. He could have asked, for the finest china and for the finest meals to be served here. And he didn't make a single one of those demands. Instead, he demonstrated an intense 
natural preference towards humility. Now, I'm not sure what you were expecting when you were coming tonight and, and what you planned on hearing or what you were planning on walking away with, but I think there are a couple things that God wants each of us to walk away from this service being aware of. And the first one is this, that each of us would walk away knowing something about Jesus that, that maybe we never knew before. Maybe something we knew of Jesus as a, as a concept, but, but we would understand that a little bit deeper. Maybe the idea of Jesus being humble is not a, a new idea to you, but, but I think tonight you're going to walk away understanding what that really meant and why that was so important. And the second thing that I think God wants each of us to walk away with is understanding how he feels about us and how he feels towards us and how the humility of Jesus tells us how God feels towards us. I think what we're going to learn tonight is that the humble circumstances of Jesus, birth and life, were not at all circumstantial, but they were very intentional. So tonight I'm going to share two thoughts with you reasons why I think Jesus' humility is such an important part of the Christmas narrative and the nativity scene. And the first one is this, is that Jesus' humility proved his divinity. His humility proved his divinity. I remember growing up through my school years, grade school, all the way through high school, uh, I was always getting kicked out of class. Like on a regular basis, kicked out of class, sent to the principal's office, on probation where if I got kicked out one more time, I was going to get suspended. This is back in the day where like, they didn't have drugs for kids like me. They hadn't invented those yet. And so I was always getting in trouble. So every, every break, you know, at the beginning of every new year, every Christmas going back, I would always say to myself, okay, you got a fresh start, Dennis. This year, or this new semester, let's behave. And that would last. For a day, or two, or three, maybe even a week, and then I would fail. Have you ever found yourself saying, you know what, today, today I'm going to be patient. And you start the day out with a perfect level of patience. And you get to work, or you get through your first couple errands, and you're on a roll, and you got patience, momentum building up, and then somebody crosses your path. Or somebody does something and you just lose it. Or maybe you, you try to be to try to be nice, or you, you try to be generous, or you try to be selfless, and, and you can do it for a while, but I think we all know that just doesn't last, does it? Like we all come to that point where we just can't do it anymore and something happens. When we talk about the humility of Jesus, what we need to understand is that the humility that Jesus demonstrated in being born as a baby in a manger was just the first act of humility. That every single day of his life, from sun up to sun down, was marked by humility. Every moment, every second, Jesus was humble. I thought to myself, since you're asking the question, of, of all of the expressions of humility, of all of the things that Jesus did to demonstrate his humility, besides dying on the cross, which is kind of the, the go-to answer for anything about Jesus, he died on the cross, a good answer, 
But if you take that one out of the equation or off the board, well, what was the next greatest demonstration of humility that Jesus did? Think, think about that for a second. For those of you who know the, the life of Jesus, think. What of all of the things did Jesus do that you think is maybe the most humble? Here's the answer that came to me as I prepared this message. It was something that we hear hardly anything about. And for me, I think it was the 30 years of absolute obscurity that Jesus lived. Earlier I said everybody has their 15 minutes of fame. Can you imagine knowing that you were the Son of God? Can you imagine your parents telling you the story of your birth and you just knowing? We know that Jesus from the age of 12, when He was at the temple, we know He knew who the Father was. We know He knew the power that He had inside of Him because when His mother asked Him to turn water into wine, He said, my time hasn't come. Like He knew He had the power to do that for 30 years. He knew He was a star. For 30 years, He knew He had the talent to be famous. For 30 years, He knew He was the Son of God. And in a snap of a finger, He could demonstrate that. But for 30 years, He lived in anonymity and obscurity. And for 30 years, He woke up every day and said, Father, not my will, but Yours be done. Every day, He said, Father, not my timing, but Your timing. Absolutely remarkable. If I was the Son of God, I would have made it till about age three before I started walking on water. That's that's enough of this. Let me show you who I am. But He managed to live in such a humble state. Nobody knew His name. Nobody knew what He had inside of Him. Everyone overlooked Him. He was just another nameless face in the crowd. And when his ministry did start, and the Pharisees, the religious of the rulers of the day, came and wanted to argue the Scriptures with him, not knowing that he himself was the Scripture, that he himself was the Word of God, and they had the audacity to argue with him, and he could have just squashed them like a bug under his heel. But he chose to be humble. I think about the disciples And God loved the disciples and what they ultimately became. But early on, they were just so thick-headed. And you could just imagine the amount of times where where Jesus was like, I just can't take this anymore. How many of you this season have watched half of an Indianapolis Colts game and then just like turned the TV off in frustration? It's like, that is it. I can't watch this anymore. That had to be what it was like for Jesus. It's like, I just can't handle these disciples anymore. But never once in his superiority, never once knowing what he knew and being able to do what he was able to do, never once did he look at the disciples and look down on them. But instead, he humbly befriended them and cared for them and caused them to become what they were. And when the masses and the crowds rejected him and turned their back on them, and then and when they, they shouted for Barabbas to live and for Jesus to die, never once did he stand up and say, you guys have no idea who I am. Only someone as perfect as Jesus could maintain as perfect a posture of humility as Jesus did. Listen to what Philippians says about the humility of Christ. Jesus did not consider equality with God something 
to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance of a man. He humbled himself. Ironically, many people look at the humility of Jesus and they disqualified him as being a king. They thought nothing of him because of his humble estate. They disqualified him as a king, as a celebrity, as anyone, as being important, especially as the Messiah, the Savior of the world. But in reality, his humility is actually what validated his divinity. His humility is what set him apart. His humility is one of those things that tell us that was God in our midst. See, you would expect a king of heaven to be able to perform miracles. If anyone was going to perform miracles, it would be the king of heaven. You would expect the, the king of heaven to be able to, to walk on water. I mean, he created water after all. It wasn't that big of a deal for him to walk on it. You would expect the king of life, the one who breathed life, to be able to breathe life into Lazarus and bring him back from the dead. That's, that's, that's what you would expect from somebody with that power. But what you wouldn't expect from someone like that, what would be totally unexpected, would be for that king to demonstrate absolute humility. See, for you and I, our humility limits, our, sorry, our humanity limits our humility, doesn't it? We set out to be humble, but then our pride gets in the way. We set out to be humble, but our fear gets in the way. Set out to be humble, but our selfishness or self-centeredness gets in the way. We set out to be humble, but our own insecurities get in the way. But Jesus, in His humility, He showed us His divinity. And in His humility, He showed us the face of God. He showed us that the face of God was not an angry, vengeful, wrathful face that wanted to smite us. He showed us that the face of God was a compassionate, loving, forgiving, merciful face and and not a a God that was just waiting for the moment to to judge us. He, He showed us that the face of God was the face of a friend who would look at us in our weakest moment, and instead of denying that He knows us, would actually sit down right next to us. And when everyone else is walking away, God has the humility to sit with us in our shame and say, I'm not leaving you. That's what Jesus showed us in His humility. His humility showed us His divinity. And that's why we worship Him tonight. Second thing is that Jesus' humility proved his intentionality. Here's what I mean by that. If you're like me, most of my experience with humility has been forced on me by the actions of others. Other people have humbled me. Other people have done things to embarrass me. Other people have kind of put me in my place. Or the consequences of my bad decisions have brought humility to me. Most of my experience with humility isn't something that I willingly participated in. But it was something that was either done to me or it was something that was a consequence of something else 
that I've done. But with Jesus, no one forced humility upon him. He, uh, Jesus didn't just have a propensity for humility. He had an intentionality for humility. He had a reason. There was a purpose in him being humble. His humble estate wasn't just a, a, a situation or a circumstance that, 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 that he had to deal with, right? Like you and I, we have circumstances that are thrust upon us, uh, you, you know, like a, a bomb tornado or whatever they call this thing, right? Where we're, we're all expecting and we all have our plans, and, and then this massive weather movement comes in and it changes everybody's plans, right? That, that's not what humility was to Jesus. It wasn't like Jesus had other plans and just incidentally had to deal with humility. This was very much an integral part to the story. Now you could look at the, the mission of Jesus and you could ask, oh, what was Jesus' mission? Why, why, why did He come? And, and you could answer that a lot of ways. And I, I think one easy way to, to answer the purpose in Jesus' coming, the intention in which He came, was to demonstrate God's love to us. He wanted to show us what the love of God looked like. The Bible tells us that God is love. And so Jesus wanted to show us love so that we would know God. And if that was His mission, then His strategy, His intentionality, part of that mission, the strategic part of that mission, was Jesus saying, well, I will be humble. And in my humility, I will love in ways and sacrifice in ways that people have never seen before. When we think of the sacrifice of Jesus, we think of His death on the cross, and that's only natural. And clearly that was the culmination of His sacrifice. But it wasn't remotely even the only sacrifice that Jesus made, or the only expression of humility was sacrifice. Earlier we read this, Mary wrapped Jesus in a cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I want you to think about that for a second. That Jesus Christ could have chosen to be born in any room in the world. The finest room that the Roman world had to offer with Egyptian cotton sheets and everything else. The finest thing. Jesus could have been born that way, but He chose not to be born that way. Jesus was born in a barn, and He was born in a manger, and it was all part of His grand plan. Now imagine with me, if you will, just for fun. I know this sounds like the beginning of a joke. Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit were sitting around at the bar having a conversation, and they started to figure out, well, hey, how can we put into act the salvation of mankind? And the three of them are sitting at the bar having this conversation, spitballing and strategizing, and they say, hey, hey, here's, here's what we'll do. We'll send Jesus, the Son of God, to die on the cross. And they look at each other and go, that's a winner. That's the idea. Let's go with that. And then one of them says, wait, wait a second. But what if that's not enough of a sacrifice? What happens if people need to see more than that? And so they started to say, okay, all right. Well, how about we do this? How about we send Jesus as a baby? Unable to defend himself. Unable to feed himself. Unable to protect himself. 
What happens if you send him in such a lowly state that he can't even take care of himself? What happens if we, we, we do that? They said, yeah. Okay, we'll do that. What, what happens if we, we, we send him instead of a, a nice high-end hospital or instead of a nice fancy room, we, we, we send him in a barn? Will, will that get the message of God's love and how, how willing and how far God is willing to go to show you His love? How, how about, as I said earlier, that we, we, we allow Jesus to just wander in obscurity for 30 years? What happens if, 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 if He demonstrates 30 years of sacrifice. How many of us here would live for 30 years and sacrifice 30 years of our life? That's what Jesus did for us to show us God's love. And then like out of nowhere, like, like think about this. I love nature. My son lives out in Colorado. I grew up in British Columbia in the Rockies. I love nature. One of the things when I'm in nature, I'm just in awe of the beauty that God created. Just with the tip of His finger, He created all that beauty. So now He's getting ready to send His Son to the earth. And it's like, of all of the ways and creativity and beauty and, and handsomeness that God could have projected on and molded into Jesus' figure, because you know what? Let's not do any of that. Let's send Him with the most plainest appearance what the Bible tells us. There's nothing about him that would catch your eye. He was willing to forego all of the ability to come in beauty. And instead he said, I'll come in plainness. So that through my plainness they'll see how much you love him. All of these things. And when the crowds rejected him and mocked him and the people spat on him, he took all of that. Humbly, he took all of that with a very, very intentional purpose in mind. In my humility, I'm going to show them the love of God. Jesus had such an intense, natural preference towards humility because he had such an intense love for you. And every time humility visited Jesus, he welcomed it because he wanted to welcome you into the arms of the Father. He intentionally chose to be humble in every way because he didn't want anything getting in your way of being reunited with your Father. He didn't want anything getting in the way of you receiving the salvation and the redemption of your Father. And so he took it all upon him. He made no demands. He made no requests. He rode coach and he took it. Humbly took it so that today we can receive the love of the Father. And that's why he is our King. And that's why he is worthy of praise. And that's why he is worthy of worship. And the worship team comes forward to lead us in this last song. I want to leave you with this challenge. Christmas means a lot of things to us. There's a lot of memories and traditions and a lot of things that we look forward to on Christmas, being with family and great food, opening up presents. But I, I pray that this Christmas that you will take some time to consider how great of love that the Father has for us.
own self and be the humble king for our salvation. God, I thank you for the humble gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. I thank you, God, that when you were in a position to make all the demands in the world, that you made no demands. I thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to come and risk to be vulnerable, to be insulted, to go without the things that you deserved and could have easily demanded, that you did all of that intentionally so that we would look at your life and we would say, I know my Father loves me because of the price that he was willing to pay. So we celebrate the birth of Jesus and how it showed us the face of God. We're going to close the service by singing Silent Night. This is my favorite, by far and away, my favorite tradition of the entire calendar year. We're going to have some people come to the forward, uh, come forward to the front, and if you have your, your candle, they're going to go down the two center aisles, and they're going to start lighting the candles. You guys can go ahead and get started on that. And if you didn't get a candle, we have somebody handing out candles, so raise your hand if you didn't get a candle, and somebody will hand you a candle. So we're going to sing Silent Night uh, together as, as we light our candles. And, uh, and as you have the light in your hand, I just pray that that light would represent to you the light of Christ in the world that we live.